Well, good morning. I hope you're doing well this morning. Welcome to Hilton Head Island Community Church. Uh, for those of you uh, who I don't know or maybe who are visiting um, on like our last kind of summer uh, week here, weekend. Um, my name's Todd. I'm the pastor here and uh, so glad that you have chosen to join with us in worship this morning. And if you have your Bibles, you can take them and turn to the book of Galatians chapter 5. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 5. And uh, this particular summer here in 2012, um, I, I just felt uh, led to um, preach a message or messages, a series focused on the fruit of the Spirit, as Paul describes in Galatians chapter 5. And, um, you know, there are nine fruit of the Spirit, and we kind of combined two of those into one week, and so we had eight weeks here during the summer. Now, that's a dangerous thing for a pastor to do, is to preach on one subject for eight weeks, because I realize that for some of you, I can't keep your attention for eight minutes, and I'm that way too, okay? So ADD all over the place. So um, we come to our last week here, uh, and uh, we're kind of, we rounded the bend, and, and we're here to take a look at this last fruit of the Spirit. And I don't know about you, um, for me personally, I just want to let you know this, for me personally, in my study, in my time preparing uh, for these messages, it's been an incredibly rich um, time for me spiritually. Um, just discovering all that Paul meant by these nine characteristics of the life of the believer um, has been very piercing to my own heart and my soul. And I, I hope and I pray that over these past few weeks, you've learned something about what the Christian life is supposed to look like um, as a result of a rich and dynamic and vibrant walk with God. And so I want to encourage you, if you've been, if your heart's been pierced, if you've um, had some like significant or maybe even some insignificant life change here over these past eight weeks, um, I want to encourage you um, just to galvanize that even today and ask God for the ability to um, just see that through and to make those changes permanent in your life. And so let's go to God in prayer. Let's ask for his blessing on our time together. And I'm going to ask that he do that in our lives with these things that maybe we have changed for the good on over these past few weeks. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you so much for um, all that you did on the cross for us. Thank you for the wonderful gift of salvation. The fact that you loved humanity enough to send your son to die on the cross for our sins. And Father, I thank you that part of living the Christian life, part of being a follower of you, means that we live our lives in your power, in your spirit, God. And I pray for those of us who are in here today who are Christ followers. I pray that these words from Paul, even today on the last day of, of our series in The Sweet Life, I pray that they be dynamic in our lives. God, that they would change us. And as we dive in and take a look at what it means to have self-control, Father, I pray that you would just change us. God, help us to realize what it's going to take for us to live the sweet life of self-control today. And Father, I pray for those who came in here today and even getting here this morning was chaotic. I pray that you would just still our hearts, give us peace. May your Holy Spirit lead us into knowledge and understanding, and God, may you impart wisdom in our lives so that we can be people who more closely follow you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 
I'm not sure that over the course of these eight weeks that I've actually come right out and said this or not, but these fruit of the Spirit are geared towards the Christ follower. Um, we, we have a lot of series uh, here at Hilton Head Island Community Church that uh, are geared for uh, maybe some friends or maybe even some of you who are here today who um, you know, really aren't sure about the whole God thing who really aren't sure about what being a Christian is all about. But this summer we've focused on these things that really are specifically designed for the Christ follower. They're, they're fruit of the Spirit. And when you become a Christ follower, immediately, immediately you have certain things in your life that come with being a Christ follower that you automatically have. It's, it's, it's kind of like an asset of being a Christ follower. And one of those things is to be able to become like these nine things that we've taken a look at. And uh, so this particular series is for you who are Christ followers. And so far, Paul has taken us on this journey in Galatians chapter 5. He's taken us on this journey from love all the way to today, we take a look at self-control. And I'm going to ask you to read this passage. This is Galatians 5, 22 through 23. I said I wasn't going to put the words up on the screen, but I don't think that'd be really fair to you. So uh, let's say this together as a church. Let's say these verses together. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 this morning. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That wasn't planned, by the way. <laughs> I'm not trying to trick you. I promise you I'm not trying to trick you. Um, they weren't ready because I didn't tell them to have those words. So that's my fault, not theirs, okay? It wasn't a trick, I promise. Paul has been through this journey. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And it's really interesting because the first eight of these in this series that we've taken a look at here over these past few weeks, the first eight are uh, just kind of obvious that they're outward things. Being lovely, being gentle, being peaceful, being a person who's faithful. They're outward things. It's how we interact with other people. Are you with me? But we come to this last one, and this last one seems to be a lot different, doesn't it? Self-control. And it's kind of like, wait a minute, it, it kind of doesn't fit, does it? I mean, it's kind of an inward thing, like you and God have to figure this one out, right? You and God have to figure this one out. I mean, self-control is one of these things that it, it seems like it's a very personal fruit. Well, the word that Paul uses in the, the original language here is actually kind of a combination of several different words. To indicate what Paul indicates here is a sober approach to life that includes, and I want you to capture this, having mastered personal desire and passions. What he's trying to communicate here to the Galatians, those, those churches that were in this region of Galatia, but he's also trying to communicate to us here today in 2012, is that life lived according to the Spirit is supposed to be lived having mastered personal desires, and passions. It's a tall order, isn't it? It's a tall order. Let's face it. It's not easy to master personal desire and passion. In fact, I want you to capture this, most of the time, those things control us, don't they? 
Most of the time, those things, those personal desires, those inward drive, that personal desire and passions usually are those things that actually control us. And Paul is saying, no, that's not what living life according to the Spirit, that's not what the sweet life is all about. The sweet life is all about you mastering those things. Well, I kind of came up with this idea that the opposite, it helps me to understand some of these words when I figure out what the opposite is. So what is the opposite of self-control? I I think it's indulgence. I think it's self-indulgence. That's kind of the opposite of self-control, indulging in what you want, that personal desire or passion. And so when you say it that way, when you speak it out loud and say, in the, say the opposite of self-control is self-indulgence, it kind of makes sense. It kind of gives us a way to contrast and compare the two. And when you really begin to think about it, this one fruit that Paul tacks on to the end of these other eight that seems so incredibly inward, so incredibly personal, actually has amazing public results. Think with me for a moment about the person who handles self-control well. Think about the person who may be on the verge of leaving his or her family to pursue another person. And they grab that passion and that desire and they take it under self-control. They capture that. Think about the person who is about ready to commit a crime and at the last moment they're able to get control of that desire to do whatever they're doing. And they bring that under control. They master that rather than it mastering them. And all of a sudden, that very personal, very introspective, very thing that's between you and God actually is very public in a positive way, isn't it? Because that person has brought that under control. And so in some ways, this fruit is both deeply personal and outrageously public. Because I want you to capture this. It affects so many people around us. When when you're self-indulgent, when you indulge in your desires and your passions, please don't miss this. At some point in time, it affects someone else. At some point in time, when you indulge in those passions or those inward desires, at some point in time, someone else, usually someone you love, has to clean up the mess, don't they? And so this idea of having self-control is really not just personal. It really does affect other people. It really is like these other fruit of the Spirit in that it has to do ultimately with our relationships. And when we can master those things, when we can master, self, uh, when we can master those inward desires and those passions, then we affect positively our relationships with other people. Our relationship beginning with our relationship with God and then expanding out to those relationships with those people that we love. Take a look at your notes this morning. This whole idea of self-control might be a simple one to understand, but I don't think it's quite as easy to practice. I want to dive in and take a look this morning. Look at your key point this morning. In the sweet life, adding the key ingredient of self-control is only possible when we choose to live with boundaries and resist the self-centered life. The sweet life, the key ingredient of self-control, is only possible when we choose to live with boundaries and resist the self-centered life. When you indulge in those desires and those passions, 
you're living a very self-centered life. When you master them, when you get control over them, you're living a very selfless centered life, an others-centered life, ultimately. And so that's our key point this morning, and it's really rooted in something that Jesus said to his disciples right before he was ready to leave this earth. He, he's, he's towards the end of his life, he's essentially, essentially saying the same thing, and he begins in Luke 9 predicting his death. And he talks to his disciples, these closest followers, and he says to them, hey, guys, listen, here's the deal. Um, I, I'm about ready to be betrayed. I, I'm about ready to be put on trial, and they're going to beat me. Oh, yeah, and then they're going to kill me. So, hey, guys, this has been great, but I, I'm going to be leaving you. And I'm sure at that point in time, the disciples were concerned about Jesus. Wouldn't you have been? Wouldn't you have been concerned about Jesus? I mean, you were following him. You, you, you kind of committed to this man who was a rabbi, but preaching something a bit different. And I'm sure they were concerned about him. But in the very next verse, Jesus kind of shocks them. And basically what he says is, y'all got to watch out for yourself too. Because you might find yourself in the same position that I am. And he essentially says to them in Luke 9, 23, take a look at this. Whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves, take up their cross, and what? Follow me. Jesus is dying. He's going somewhere else. And he says to his disciples, you have to deny yourself, take up your own cross, and follow me. And all of a sudden, Jesus Jesus leaving this earth, leaving his disciples behind, all of a sudden it became very incredibly personal to them. And, but this whole idea of, of denying ourselves is a hallmark of a Christ follower. I want you to hear this this morning. If you're a Christ follower in here, if you're like, Todd, I am a Christian, I am a Christ follower, I am following Jesus Christ as my Savior. I want to tell you something that not a lot of churches will say in this day and age, unfortunately. It's going to cost you something. Following Jesus Christ is going to cost you something. It may cost you a lot. For some people, it may cost them their families. But following Jesus Christ is going to cost you something. He says, deny yourself. And when we as Christ followers get to the point where we are completely denying ourselves, I mean completely and really truly denying ourselves, then we can really understand the concept of living in self-control. If you are devoted to Jesus Christ, it means that you've got to give up something of yourself. And that's what Paul meant when he used those phrases, those words that he put together that today we have that means self-control. He says, I want you to master your personal desires and passions so that it doesn't control you. At, um, at 15 years old, I started working at a golf course in Stone Mountain, Georgia. I grew up in Stone Mountain, Georgia, and I, I don't know that the working, the legal working age in that day and age was actually 15. I think it was like 16 or 17 or something like that. But my, my, I had a very uh, a good dad who instilled a, a very good work ethic in me. And quite honestly, I didn't have anything to do with my time, so I was going to get in trouble if I didn't. So I went to work, and I was the cart guy, okay? You know, the guy that cleans the carts and goes out and picks the range. I remember my first day on the job, I had you know, one of those range pickers that picks the ball, and I ran over one of the flags on the driving range. 
So I had to go to my boss with it in two pieces and go, um, I guess you're going to fire me. And he's like, no, it's all right. You know, go ahead and keep working. But the thing I was most excited about in that job was I had this picture in my mind at this little golf course there in Stone Mountain, Georgia, of me driving these golf carts like 50 miles an hour up and down the hills of Stone Mountain, Georgia. They call it Stone Mountain for a reason. It's got hills around it. And I was like, man, this is going to be so much fun. Well, I was really disappointed when I jumped in that golf cart that first day on the job, and that thing didn't get about above about 8 or 10 miles an hour. You know why? The manufacturing company, to avoid injury or risk to you and a lawsuit to them, they installed what's called a governor. I'd never heard of a governor before, but at the time, I didn't like the governor that was on the golf cart because it kept it down below a certain speed. So that I, at 15 years old, wouldn't break my neck trying to fly around those hills at 50 miles an hour. That's what Paul is saying to us that we have to have in our lives. We have to have a self-imposed governor on our lives. We've got to have something in our lives that keeps us in control. Because given our own desires and passions, we're out of control, aren't we? We're just out of control. That's the human nature. That's the sinful part of our nature, which actually we'll be talking about here in a few weeks. But what does it mean to actually have self-control? What are some steps that we can take to actually exercise this practice in our life? Take a look at your notes. What are some action steps to adding self-control to our sweet life? The first one is this. We must first realize that we absolutely, please don't miss this, we cannot have self-control without the power of God working in our lives. We cannot have self-control without the power of God Almighty working in our lives. We can't do it. Our best efforts to have control over our desires and our passions are going to be absolutely fruitless without tapping in to the power of God in our lives. We've got to seek him out, Christ follower. We've got to spend time with him. We've got to spend time in his word. We've got to get to know him. And when we do, when we're faced with that temptation, we can access the power of the living God in our lives. Jesus himself. Remember, Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. And as difficult as it is for us to understand that on this side of heaven, he was 100% man. And so he went to God the Father to seek out his power. Take a look at Mark 1.35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, and he went off to a public place. Oh, wait, that's not what it says, does it? Where does it say he went? Solitary place. Jesus, wait a minute, capture this. Jesus, the Son of God, got alone with God to seek the power of God. If he could do that, and if he needed to do that, we really need to do it, don't we? We need to seek him out alone, in quiet, by ourselves, seeking the power of God, because your will is not strong enough by yourself. The world may tell you that your will is strong enough by yourself to overcome those internal desires and those passions, but it's not. We all, no matter where we are in our journey with God, have to seek out the power of God in our lives. 
Paul, in writing a letter to his protege, Timothy, said this about tapping into the Spirit of God for self-discipline, which is really synonymous with self-control. He says this in 2 Timothy 1.17. For the Spirit of God does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So the first step towards having this sweet life, this self-control in the sweet life, is to tap in to the power of God in your life. Ask daily, in quiet, by yourself for the strength to have self-control in your life. But there's a second principle this morning. There's a second principle that I want you to take a look at this morning. Adjust our lifestyle to freely living in bounds and not out of bounds. Adjust our lifestyle to living freely in bounds and not out of bounds. The way I see it, I think there are kind of three areas where we can exercise self-control. There's just obvious, blatant sin that we can have self-control over. There are those things in our lives which may not be a sin, but it's not God's best for our lives. And I think you probably have something very personal that you could, if you're really honest with God, bring up in that case. But then there's also some things that are good that are, when they're in excess, can be bad. And it can distract you from an exuberant and vibrant journey with God. And I think that's what Paul meant when he told Timothy that we've got to uh, keep things in check. And when he spoke to the Corinthians, specifically in this verse, in 1 Corinthians 6.12, he said this. Now, the, the church at Corinth had a tremendous amount of sin. They were giving in to those desires and those passions. And he says this. I have the right to do anything, you say. He's speaking to the church at Corinth. And he says that they were saying, I have the right to do anything. But not everything is beneficial, Paul says. I have the right to do anything, but I, Paul says, will not be mastered by anything. I will not be mastered by anything. We have the opportunity to either exercise or not exercise self-control in those things that have the tendency to control us. And we all have them, don't we? We all have those things in our life that control us. I told the story a few weeks ago about um, early June when Cynthia and I went to Atlanta and we loaded up the church trailer with all of our Ikea furnishings for island kids and it ended up weighing 7,000 pounds and I told the story about how we broke down and I had loaded the trailer wrong and I put everything on the back, which you never do in a trailer. Well, one thing I realized when we were going down 75 through Atlanta that day is that the trailer was controlling me. <laughs> I mean, that steering wheel on my Ford F-150 was just doing this, and there was absolutely nothing I could do about it other than have a disaster, which we almost did. It was controlling me. The trailer was absolutely, it was pushing me. It was turning the, the truck. And until I reorganized and reassessed things after we kind of broke down there with the trailer, uh, I, did I realize that it was absolutely controlling me. That's what these passions and desires, if we let them master us, do to us. They control us. And Paul is telling the church in Corinth to not have a lifestyle where you let those things master you. It's freedom in Christ out of control. You see, the book of Romans talks about having freedom in Christ. And what the church in Corinth was doing was they were justifying their bad behavior. They were justifying sin and habit and lifestyle. And in some cases, debauchery. They were justifying those things by saying, we have freedom in Christ. And Paul is saying, yes, 
you do, but not everything is beneficial to your walk with God. And so we have to realize, we have to realize what things are in our life that benefit our walk with God and others and what things distract it, uh, our walk with God, our journey with God and others. There's a couple litmus tests. The first one is anything in your life that you question whether or not it's something that is God's best for you, but you justify it by saying, well, I've got the freedom to do that in Christ. That's probably something that you need to bring under self-control. That's probably something that you need to master, or if left unchecked, it will master you. So if you're justifying that by saying, well, I have freedom in Christ, that's the thing that very well may lead you down the path to sin and a lifestyle of sin. There's another litmus test, and that one was negative. This one's positive. Paul speaks of this litmus test in, in uh, 1 Corinthians later in that book that we just talked about, 10.31. He says this, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for what? The glory of God. If you want to know what things are beneficial in your life, what things that you don't necessarily need to have control over that are going to push you towards God, that are going to help you with your relationships with other people, it's does, ask the question, does it bring glory to God? You know, back about 10 years ago, we had those bracelets. Christians wore them all the time. They had four letters on them. What was it? WWJD. What would Jesus do? And some of you laughed at those bracelets, didn't you? Well, that's really what Paul is saying here. What would Jesus do? What would the things that are in your life, are those things that are bringing glory to God? If not, you need to master them. You need to bring them under control. You need to find those things that are not bringing glory to God and bring them into control. But there's a third ingredient to having self-control, and it's this. Adapt our mindset to focus on good things every day. Adapt our mindset to focus on good things every day. You see, here's the trouble with sin, and we'll be talking about this in detail in a few weeks. Here's the trouble with sin. Here's the trouble with habits. Here's the trouble with indulgences. It begins right up here, doesn't it? It begins in our mind. Doing something that doesn't bring God glory doesn't begin with the action. It never does. It begins with what we think about. It begins with what's going on in our mind. Paul's challenge in 2 Corinthians 10.5 is this. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take, what is that next word? Captive. We take captive every thought to make it obedient there's that mastering thing to Christ. You capture your thoughts. And self-indulgence begins with the mind. But if we as Christ followers can begin to take captive our thoughts, that thought comes in our mind and we capture it and we don't think about it again. And here's the difference. We all are going to have negative thoughts. We all are going to have bad thoughts. We all are going to have sinful thoughts. We're human, right? When Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden, it meant that many thousands of years later, we all would have negative thoughts. What Paul is trying to communicate here in this verse is that we don't dwell on those thoughts. Are you with me? That we don't stay there. When those thoughts enter our mind, taking it captive means that we don't dwell on it. 
And I've always said um, for a, a long time that we've got to replace that which is negative with something that is good. And the psalmist says this in Psalm 19, 14. He says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. If you want to know how to master personal desire and passion and how to control it rather than you, you being controlled by it, it starts right up here. It starts with taking captive what we think about. Paul gives us a way that we can accomplish this in Philippians 4, verse 8. He says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. The writer of Proverbs says that we ought to guard our hearts. Guard our hearts from sin, from indulgences, from being out of control. And the way that we begin doing this, please don't miss this, Christ follower, the way that we begin to do that is we begin to change the way that we think. It starts up here. It starts right up here. You know, this whole idea of self-control, is, 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 it's difficult. It's not easy. It's not fun. We want to give in to our desires. We want to give in to our passions. We don't want to make the effort to be in control of our emotions and our passions and our desires. We, I have a little eight-year-old, and um, she and Sean, the, the five-year-old, they, they both um, sucked their fingers, sucked their fingers when they were babies. I mean, we couldn't get them to take a pacifier. We tried, but they would not take a pacifier. And so as they got older, we were trying to wean them off of that. And I remember Sydney, when she was, we were trying to wean her off of sucking her fingers, and I would catch her. I'd say, hey, Sydney, um, you know, you got to take your fingers out of your mouth. You know you got to do that. And she would look at me and she'd say, Daddy, I just can't help myself. <laughs> and I'm like, man, that's worse than the thing itself, isn't it? Like, you know, that whole idea of I can't help myself. I don't want to raise a child like that. But you know what? Every time we give in our personal desires and passions, we essentially tell God the same thing, don't we? I can't help myself, God. Well, yeah, you can and not because of some kind of new age, on TV, self-help, humanistic thing, but because the power of God is living in you who are Christ followers. You have the power to overcome those things because you have the mighty God on your side. There's a, uh, there's a book that was written about emotions, emotional self-regulation. It was by Daniel Goleman and he writes and he talks about the great marshmallow experiment. And I want to read it to you this morning. He says, The essence of emotional self-regulation is the ability to delay impulse in the service of a goal. The importance of this trait to success was shown in an experiment begun in, 1960, in the 1960s by psychologist Walter Mischel. At a preschool on the Stanford University campus, children were told that they could have a single treat, such as a marshmallow right now. However, if they would wait, <laughs> if they would wait while the experimenter ran an errand, you're like, yeah, right, then they could have two marshmallows. Some preschoolers grabbed the first one immediately, but others were able to wait 
what for them must have seemed like an endless 20 minutes. To sustain themselves in their struggle, they covered their eyes so they couldn't see the temptation. They rested their hands on their arms. They talked to each other. They sang. They even talked to themselves. They even tried to sleep. These plucky kids, he writes, got the two marshmallow reward. Here's the interesting part. He came in the follow-up. The children who at four years old had been able to wait for the marshmallows were as adolescents still able to delay gratification in pursuing their goals. Interesting, isn't it? They were more socially competent and self-assertive and better able to cope with life's frustrations. In contrast, the kids who grabbed the one marshmallow, marshmallow were as adolescents more likely to be stubborn, stubborn indecisive, and stressed. <laughs> Interesting, isn't it? And the world will tell us from that example that some of us have it and some of us don't. But if you're a Christ follower in here today, you have the ability to have self-control because you have the power of God on your side. It's going to take a little effort. Maybe it's going to take a lot of effort. But you know what? The sweet life is so sweet, isn't it? Living life according to the Holy Spirit, how Paul describes in Galatians 5, is so remarkably rewarding when we really understand and live that way. My challenge to you this morning is if you have a specific area that you're like, yeah, I have given in to that personal desire. I've given in to that gratification. I have indulged. My, my personal challenge for you this morning is to give that to God, is to give that up, to seek Him out, to have the power to overcome that. I'm your pastor, and I have areas where I struggle in this. We all do. We're all human. And we've all got to, if we're Christ followers, we've got to tap into the power of God to overcome it. And when we do, that sweet life is so incredibly rewarding. Father God, thank you for your words. Thank you that you inspired the Apostle Paul to write these words that are so powerful. And God, we may buy into the lie that there's no way that we can overcome these things in our lives. Or God, we may buy into the lie that we can overcome it in our own self, in our own will. Father God, help us to understand where the center is on that continuum. That the center is overcoming these things, these passions and desires that are out of control because we have you, the mighty God, on our side. Help us to wake up, to come to the realization that we have you at our disposal. And we can't do it on our own, but we can ask for your strength and for your power. Help us to be people who don't walk around saying, but I just can't help myself. Help us to be people who are strong, who are firm on the fact that we can overcome these things because we trust and rely on you. Search our hearts, God, and find those ways within us that we can give up and help us to have self-control. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.